chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. We've just sung, Who is on the Lord's side? As if the Lord being on your side can change things. Amen. And we've just sung that those who put their trust in Him will be completely taken care of. And that is certainly true in Acts chapter 16. Amen. Let's all stand together for a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we open Your precious Word, the Bible. We look into the Acts of the Apostles and we see the true history of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray now that you will open our eyes that we might see, our hearts that we might rejoice, our minds that we might understand, and see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ as he enables his apostles to spread the gospel among the Gentiles, for which we are so thankful. We thank thee, O Father, for loving us, And not only for loving us with an everlasting love that will see us without a doubt and without a chance of loss into your heavenly kingdom, but also for telling us of that love with your Holy Spirit and your Holy Scriptures. Bless us now that we might, in a short period of time, see what you would have us to see from this 16th chapter. For we ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 15, we had the council at Jerusalem. We studied it two weeks ago. After that council was finished, a resolution was put into writing, and Paul and Silas, Paul and Barnabas, carried it back to Antioch. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them as they went out on their second evangelistic trip. This is in the last part of Acts chapter 15. And the Apostle Paul thought it not fit to take John Mark with them because he was a quitter. And there's a lesson right there for us to be faithful in what the Lord gives us to do. The Apostle Paul did not want him, so the Apostle Paul chose Silas. Barnabas took his nephew. They went one direction, and Paul and Silas went another direction. And thus we come to Acts chapter 16. If you have your maps, you may open them from time to time and just take a little picture of where we are in the Mediterranean world um, as this second trip begins. We read in the last verse of Acts chapter 15 that he went through Syria and Cilicia confirming the churches. If you look at your map, there north of Jerusalem, north of Israel, is the city of Antioch, the home base church for the Apostle Paul. And you'll notice that above and around Antioch of Syria, we have the areas of Syria and Cilicia. And you'll follow the line of Paul's evangelist, second evangelistic trip that he moves by foot on land up through that area and around to Derby and Lystra instead of taking a boat as he did the first trip. Barnabas and John Mark have left to go unto Cyprus, which was to go by ship, the same route that Paul and Barnabas had taken the first trip, but Paul's going by foot. That's there in the second evangelistic trip. So we come to the first three verses of Acts 16. Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek 
which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him, and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. Now this is interesting. We run into the young man Timothy right here in the cities of Derby and Lystra. He already has a reputation. And young man, that is a goal for you to have a reputation. Amen. A reputation for godliness and righteousness and virtue. Amen. The Bible says that a good name is rather to be chosen than gold and silver. And I hope that that is the goal of all young men. And we're all young men. So I hope that's our goal, is that our name commands respect, not for pride, but for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Not for our own advancement, but for virtue and godliness. Timothy had that reputation among the brethren that were in the churches in Iconium and Lystra. Paul wants him. Paul meets this young man, sees him, hears about him, and he wants him to go with him. Now, do we know anything else about Timothy's family life? We read here that his mother was a Jewess and his father was a Greek. We know from the epistles of Paul to Timothy that he had a great mother and a great grandmother. And that though the father was an unconverted Greek, that this man had two faithful parents, a mother and a grandmother, and that they had taught him the Holy Scriptures from the time he was a child. 2 Timothy 3.15 They had formed in him the character of a God-fearing character so that he was well known by the brethren in several cities. Paul met him, saw him, and wanted him to join him and Silas as they continued on to see the churches. Now when Paul was going to take him, because his father was a Greek, his mother hadn't had the liberty to have him circumcised. Now, just think about the situation we're in. We have just studied Acts 15. Paul and Silas have a document in their hands. The document is, you Gentiles do not need to be circumcised in order to be saved. The Apostle Paul meets Timothy. It's the first event described for us, and he circumcises Timothy. In that, there is a great lesson. The discretion of a true man of God. He sees the wisdom in circumcising Timothy, not for his salvation, but so that his reputation would not be hindered with the Jews, because the Jews would know he wasn't circumcised, and that would bother them. Remember, the resolution that he had in hand was to save Gentiles from thinking they had to be circumcised in order to be saved. The Apostle Paul was willing to be made all things to all men that he might by all means save some. If we had the time to turn to 1 Corinthians 9, we could read that to those that were under the law, he became as under the law, not for salvation, but he would make adjustments in order not to create unnecessary offense. We will find much later in the book of Acts that he took upon him a Jewish vow and entered the temple in Acts chapter 21 where he was eventually captured, and from then to the end of the book he's in prison, because at that point he was in the temple fulfilling a Jewish vow, in order not to offend all the Jews that believed in Jerusalem. So here we have him carrying a document, circumcision is no longer required, and he circumcises Timothy. Great discretion. Wisdom on his part. 
Do we, do, was Paul compromising the truth of the gospel? No. Not a whit. He later picks up another young man named Titus. And you can go read in Galatians chapter 2 that with Titus accompanying him, he went to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, he ran into some Judaizers who demanded that Titus be circumcised. Now what do you think Paul's going to do? No way. Ray, no way is Titus going to be circumcised. You can read it in Galatians chapter 2. Because it was made an issue of grace. And Paul is the apostle of the grace of God. And if the grace of Jesus Christ is going to be questioned by them wanting to circumcise Titus, he's not going to do it. Where the grace of God is not in question, but just Jewish preferences, he does it. Wisdom. Wisdom. Verse 4, And as they went through the cities, these are the cities that Paul and Barnabas had visited on their first trip, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And there were four decrees. They were avoid fornication, avoid blood, avoid things strangled, and avoid meats offered to idols. Verse 5, And so, by the visits of Paul and Silas, and Timotheus were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Now that's, that's growth. When you're growing as a church daily, the Lord's blessing. And this is the Lord Jesus Christ with the Apostle Paul. We just sang who was on the Lord's side and that if we trust in Him, He will never desert us. He didn't desert the Apostle Paul. He was recommended to the grace of God in the last part of Acts 15 and the grace of God is with Him. The Lord's blessing him. The churches were growing daily. Verse 6. Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. If you look at your maps, he's now heading westward. And as he heads westward through what we now call Turkey, he's facing two great Roman provinces, one called Asia and one called Bithynia. Asia's southern, southernly, and Bithynia's northernly. And the Lord doesn't let him go into Asia. He wants to go to Asia. It's Asia Minor. It's a large chunk of Turkey. And you can see it there. The, the Holy Ghost forbids him to preach the word in Asia. Now, isn't that an amazing statement? Amen. Did anybody die in Asia during that period of time? But the Holy Ghost forbid him to preach the word in Asia. After they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia. That's the northern province. But the Spirit suffered them not. Remember that Paul was blessed with an abundance of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost would lead him as to what he ought to be doing. He tried to go south. No, so Paul tries to go north, thinking that must be the way the Spirit's leading him. And no, you can't go north and you're coming from the east, so there's only one direction left, west. And how many times do we pray when we've got a few options in front of us? Lord, please close the doors. When you've got several options in front of you that are all righteous, and you're not sure which ones to choose, ask the Lord to close the doors that are not fit and leave the one open that is fit. Here's the Apostle Paul. South, no. North, no. West, young man, west. And so there goes the Apostle Paul west, passing through Mysia, 
coming down from the mountains to the coast. And we read about this now in verse 8, And they passing by Mysia came down to Troas. And there they are in Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia. The Macedonians were Greeks. They looked a certain way. They had a reputation. Remember, the Roman Empire only existed because they had overthrown the Persian Empire, which had overthrown the Greek Empire. The Macedonians were still well known. Right. A man of Macedonia stood in a vision that Paul had one night and prayed him, pleaded with him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. There's an Aegean Sea between Turkey and Greece. Right now he's, at, he's in Troas, which is the westernmost coast of Turkey. And he's about to cross the Aegean Sea and to go into what we call Greece, which was then called Macedonia. Come over into Macedonia and help us. Here's the Lord directing him and giving him encouragement. He couldn't go south. He couldn't go north. He was coming from the east, so he continued to go west and ends up at Troas on the coast. And there he is facing water. He can't go south. He can't go north. He's already been back there. He can only go forward. And during the night, the Lord encourages him. There's a man from Macedonia. New territory, brethren. New territory. He's bringing the message of Jesus Christ. They want me to preach it. The Lord wants me to preach it in Macedonia also. Now, how long do you think it took him to react to that? How many mission boards did he apply to? Did he send messengers back to Antioch to ask them if he ought to obey? No. Just think through this. I want you to read the Word of God and see what a godly man does when he knows the will of the Lord. Amen. Does he hesitate? No. Not on your life. He didn't linger. Only Lot lingers. Right. Abraham arises early in the morning, saddles his ass and takes his son up to sacrifice him on an altar because he knew that that was what God wanted him to do. Right. When the angels come into the city of Sodom and tell Lot to get out, what does he do? Lot lingered. What a difference between Abraham and Lot. Amen. What does the Apostle Paul do? Verse 10, And after he had seen the vision, immediately he endeavored to go into Macedonia. Amen. Now what word did I corrupt? We. We. For the first time, we have the first person plural pronoun in the book of Acts because something happened in the city of Troas. Who did Paul and Silas and Timotheus meet up with? Luke, who wrote the book of Acts. Now we've got four men together, and maybe more, but four that we know about. Paul, Silas, Timotheus, and Luke. And it takes up right here in 1610. After he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Luke right. was a preacher also. And if you were to read Colossians chapter 4 and verse 10, you'd be told that Luke was a preaching assistant and companion and friend of the Apostle Paul. Immediately, when you know the will of God in any area of your life, do it immediately. What is the Lord convicting you about? Your prayer time? Your reading time, your television, your children, your marriage. What is it? Do it immediately. Don't be like Lot and linger. Immediately do it as Abraham did and as Paul did. That way you can get to the end of your life 
and say, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. Verse 11, therefore, loosing from Troas, they loose the ropes that hold a ship. They didn't swim. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia and the next day to Neapolis. That's an island. Samothracia is. There's an archipelago of islands there in the Aegean Sea, and this is one of those islands. And the next day to Neapolis and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. A colony of the Roman government. There were Romans there, and they were Romans that esteemed Roman law. And it's all given to us in just a few little words at this stage, because we're going to run into these Romans in just a few verses. It's a colony of the Roman Empire. They have Romans there. That's what a colony is. And they're using Roman law. But notice what it says. Now the Lord has directed him all the way to Troas, across the Aegean Sea, to an island, didn't stop there, to Neapolis, didn't stop there, moves on to Philippi, a chief city. Well, they're in town. What do we do now? Do we start at a street corner? Do we throw up a tent? What do we do? They waited there for a few days until the Lord would lead them and they could discover where the people in Philippi that feared God met. Paul did not have a message for pagans. Paul had a message for those that feared God. The closest he ever got to a pagan is in Acts chapter 17, which we'll study next week. And he got close to pagans that had an idol with this inscription, to the unknown God. Those are doubting pagans. Now, doubting pagans are pagans that know and believe and are convicted that there's another God. And so he wants to address them about that God. Him that you ignorantly worship, I want to declare to you. Now, that's that's next week, so let's get back to Acts chapter 16. But I want you to notice that whatever town he goes into, he discovers, he looks up in the yellow pages, because every other time it's been a synagogue. And after this, it's going to be synagogues or in the marketplace where men will discuss religion. I have preached to you why we preach the gospel for you to understand. Paul's purpose is to find the elect of God and to tell them about the glorious salvation Jesus Christ wrought for them on the cross. And so what does he do? He waits in Philippi until he discovers Prayer meetings are held on the Sabbath day out by a river. Verse 13, and on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where we began to pray and women that didn't care anything about religion and were coming down to the water to wash clothes began to pray with us. No, no, I want, I do that. And as I've told you, so that you'll look at the verse as to what it really says. Right. And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. Women came together for a prayer meeting in that place. It was a desirable place for a private prayer meeting. And women resorted there, and Paul and his company went there, and they sat down and waited for those women. 
verse 14. Is the Lord with him so far? Amen. He couldn't go south. He couldn't go north. He had to go west. He ends up looking at a big expanse of a sea called the Aegean Sea. The Lord directs him across that to the city of Philippi. He's in the city of Philippi. Now what do I do? The Lord takes him out by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. A desirable place for prayer. And a certain woman named Lydia. A certain woman named Lydia. I wonder how long the Lord had been working with her. Because there's a certain woman named Lydia who's at this prayer meeting. She's a seller of purple, the Bible wants to tell us. Of the city of Thyatira. One of the seven churches that John wrote to in the first three chapters of his revelation. Which worshipped God heard us, which worshipped God. What does the Holy Spirit tell us about Lydia before she ever hears Paul? She worshipped God. Is this somebody's opinion? This is the Holy Ghost's opinion of Lydia. She was just like Cornelius. She worshipped God. How does a person worship God? Is it because as they go and look in the... the uh, the curriculum guide for the local technical college that she went to when she was younger, that she saw all these different courses of study, and she just happened upon religion, and she went to a religion class, and they taught her about God, and she worshipped God? There's people that do that, but they don't care about God. They care about their religion class. What happened to Lydia? The Bible tells us that there is no fear of God before a natural man unless God has regenerated Amen. that person. Amen. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. Romans chapter 9. Right. Unless God, by the power of His Holy Spirit, changes the heart of a man and changes that heart so thoroughly, it's called a being born again. Right. Like you're being born all over again, you would never worship God. Right. Because there is no fear of God before your eyes. But this woman of the city of Thyatira, who had the profession of selling purple, worshipped God. Notice, the Lord is getting the Apostle Paul together with a woman that worships God. But does that woman need Paul? Absolutely. She doesn't know anything about Jesus Christ. She's worshipping God. And she's doing it on the Sabbath day instead of the first day of the week, which shows us where her loyalties were. And that was to the Old Testament Mosaic faith of God. Right. The, the law of Moses and the Old Testament. She was worshiping God that way on the Sabbath day. Heard us whose heart the Lord opened. Amen. The Lord opened her heart that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. Right. Paul begins to preach Jesus Christ to her and the Lord, her heart's already regenerated just opens it up so that everything she hears, she attends to it, believes it, receives it, gets excited about it, rejoices that she has just found and heard about the Shiloh that the Old Testament told about in Genesis chapter 49, the seed of the woman prophesied in Genesis chapter 3, and all the other prophecies of a virgin-born Savior that was going to come into the world that would be called the Prince of Peace. Paul preaches it, and she receives it and believes it. Right. <laughs> because, because the Lord opened her heart. I want to remind you, when do you think the Apostle Peter was regenerated? 
I would say it's before he fell on his knees at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Right. Natural men don't say things like that when they're looking at the mother load of fish. Why did he look at a great blessing and that great blessing turn him into a consciousness of the holiness of God on the deck of that little ship of his? Do you think he was born again by that point? I do. Amen. That's way in the early chapters of Matthew. But we can read all the way to Matthew chapter 16 before Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And do you know what Jesus says to him? Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, Peter, but my Father which is in heaven. Right. When a person like Lydia is able to hear and receive and understand and believe, it's by the grace of God. Right. Apart from regeneration, in addition to regeneration, I want to tell you, brethren, I pray for it for me and I pray for it for you. Whenever you hear me in a sentence use the word preacher and hearer, I am talking and asking the Lord to open your hearts and to open my hearts that even while I'm preaching and only God and I know how much he shows me while I preach to you that he will open my heart and he will open your heart that truth can be communicated. I do not pray for you to be born again. I don't need to pray for that. You already are. But I need for God to open your heart that you can hear and understand the word. Lydia was already born again. She worshiped God. But she needed that heart opened that she could attend unto those things. There's all kinds of ground that hear the preaching of the gospel. There's wayside ground. There's thorny ground. There's stony ground. And then there's fruitful ground. And I want to tell you what the Lord gave in Lydia. Fruitful ground. Amen. Do you know what she wanted to do immediately? Get baptized in her whole household with her. Right. Look at Acts verse 16, verse 15. And when she was baptized and her household, now then what did she want to do? Was she content now? No. Was she ready to go back to Thyatira baptized? No. She said, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Amen. She was an aggressive woman. She's, I, I love what I've just heard. And I know it's a pretty big group of you preachers, but I want you all to stay at my house. Have you judged me at all to be faithful to the Lord? Amen. And she constrained us. Amen. What was Luke and Paul supposed to say to a woman who's just been baptized with her whole house, who attended to everything that Paul said, was just baptized with her whole household? They stayed at that address. Amen. What a great woman. That's, that's all we're told about her right here. But I love Lydia. Don't you, do you love Lydia? Amen. She was a real woman. A, what does it say? And it says, and a certain woman. A certain woman named Lydia. God had dealt with her. She was of the city of Thyatira. She sold purple for a living. God regenerated her, which means he had already justified her, which means he had already predestinated her. She, he was, she was one of God's chosen ones. Amen chosen before the foundation of the world to receive spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. She's not in her hometown. She's over in this, that's across the Aegean Sea, Thyatira is. She's in Philippi, working her business. She's got a household to take care of. She goes down on the Sabbath days to pray because she's trying to worship God to the best of her understanding. But I want to tell you something. Last night I learned that many of our young people have Jeremiah 29:13 as their favorite verse which is if which that verse states 
that if you will seek the Lord with all your heart, you will find him. I want to tell you something about Lydia. She was seeking the Lord. She worshiped God, testified by the Holy Ghost, and the Apostle Paul arrives. She goes down to that riverside one day, and there's a bunch of men sitting there, and they start talking. The Apostle Paul convinced her because God opened her heart to the glory of Jesus Christ. Is that that precious? And we have three verses stuck in our Bibles about Lydia. We have a whole chapter for Cornelius, but it's the same thing all over again. She worshiped God, but she hadn't heard yet about Jesus Christ. Now she has, and she's so excited, she's baptized in her whole house and takes them all home. We need to move on. Verse 16. They're in the city of Philippi now, and they have a place to stay. Does the Lord take care of his preachers? Amen. Do you mean to tell me that that last song you sang, that if you'll put your trust in Jehovah God, he'll take care of you? Amen. Is he taking care of Paul? Amen. In great style. He's already got a great family converted, and he's staying with them. It came to pass as we went to prayer. Brethren, I have to stop there. As we went to prayer. Yep. How often did Paul go to prayer with the other apostles? Based, based on the testimony of the book of Acts, three times a day. Nine o'clock, twelve o'clock, and three o'clock. If you want to make it 6, 12, and 6, the Lord will receive that also. If you want to make it 8, 12, and 4, the Lord is also honored by that. My point being, they prayed three times a day, over and over. They went to prayer. Prayer was a specific thing that they went to go do. Prayer was very important. We read about Cornelius doing it. We read about in Acts chapter 10, Peter going up on a rooftop just before eating lunch at 12 o'clock to pray. We read about Peter and John going into the temple to pray at a certain hour. They prayed, and they prayed three times a day. Did they have a great Old Testament example that had given them the witness of praying three times a day? Amen. Who was it? Isn't that wonderful? You're both right. <laughs> Psalm 55 tells us that David prayed three times a day, and the book of Daniel tells us that Daniel prayed three times a day. Psalm 55, verses 17 and 18. Beautiful. Both of them. I wanted to stop there. We don't pray enough. I can tell you that right now. We don't pray enough. If we were to pray like the Apostle Paul, Peter, and John, we'd have a whole lot more of their strength. And I don't mean physical. I mean spiritual. We need to pray more. And it came to pass as we went to prayer, what's going to happen when you go to prayer? The children are going to put up a fuss, the phone's going to ring, and your boss is going to ask you to stay late. Do you know how I know that? Because of what the rest of this verse tells me. And as they went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Verses 16 through 18. I want you to notice that when they went to prayer, the devil met them to try to keep them from prayer. The devil met them in a damsel that had an evil spirit. And the masters had discovered that evil spirit in this little girl and were using her for their financial gain because she was their little pet fortune teller. They had her on some sort of a leash and kept her. 
and so she could foretell the future. I want to warn all of you that anything to do with foretelling the future is damnable. Amen. The Ouija board, the horoscopes, all of it, psychic lines, palm readers, all of that is damnable sin that the book of Deuteronomy and the rest of the Bible tells us they all ought to be put to death. Right. And if we lived in a godly nation, they would be. Don't play with it. Right. If you play with any of that stuff, you are giving place to the devil. Amen. And not an indirect place to the devil, a direct invitation to the devil. Right. This damsel was possessed by a spirit of divination. Can the devil, does the devil know some things that are coming in the future? Does he know more than you know? Amen. Absolutely. Does the devil and all of his demons, the spirits that fell with him, do they know the Lord Jesus Christ? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Did they know the Apostle Paul in these days? Yeah. Yes. Did they know imposters who pretended to be the Apostle Paul? Yeah. That's a lot of wisdom. That's more than any man had. I want you to remember that. Can Jean Dixon ever get one right? Mm -hmm. She doesn't get many right anymore, but did she ever get them right? Uh -huh. Yes, yeah, sometimes. Do fortune tellers sometimes either give you a vague general answer that comes true or a specific answer that comes true? Yep. Did Pharaoh's magicians ever cast down rods and have them become serpents? Uh -huh. Yes. But they quickly reach a point where God says, no more, only my servants can perform now. And when, when those that are possessed of devils see those that are possessed of the Spirit of God doing that, they say, the finger of God is here. Amen. And the finger of God was in the Apostle Paul. Right. And this poor damsel and her owners were just about to take a financial loss. They should have sold out quickly. But they didn't. Listen to what the damsel was saying. These men are the servants of the Most High God. Now, this damsel had owners that had made money off this little damsel's ability to foretell the future. It's too bad they didn't listen here. Why didn't they listen here? Because there is no fear of God before their eyes. Right. And if there's no fear of God before your eyes, though you have a damsel that you've controlled and used for months or years, and you know she can tell the future, and she is very emphatic and following them many days, repeating the same message, don't you think you'd at least think about it? But the Bible tells us that if it's not for grace, if it's not for grace to regenerate our hearts, there is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. Right. They didn't do anything. And so Paul finally gets irritated and grieved with this daily announcement whenever he, wherever he goes. And so he commands that spirit to come out in the name of Jesus Christ. Never be ashamed of the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't care if you're praying in public, pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Whenever you young people have a chance in school to say the name, just to get the words out of your mouth with a sincere heart, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Satan cannot stand that name because in that name is a man that God has exalted who is also God far above all principalities and powers. Amen. When you pray, make sure you pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Always invoke that name. 
By that name we have power and we have strength. Because it's that name by which we are saved. And it's that name that that causes the devils to tremble. And it's that name that has been victorious over them. Invoke that name. Do not pray without that name. You don't need some long program of exorcism, according to this text, to get rid of a spirit. The Apostle Paul with the Holy Ghost, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. There was power because he was given such power. He had been told that he was going to have such power in Mark chapter 16 and numerous other places for the 40 years while the apostles had their ministry confirmed. And if you ever want to pray for anything like this, pray the same way. Pray authoritatively and confidently in your position as a child of God, bought by the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing God, and that Jesus Christ has already won the victory over any devil. He made an open show of them. Colossians chapter 2. She came out immediately when it says... And he came out the same hour. The same hour is just an expression used in our New Testaments to mean immediately. He didn't have to wait around for 45 minutes for this demon to come out in the name of Jesus Christ. When anything was done in the name of Jesus Christ, it happened right then. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers. And brought them to the magistrate, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city, and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. Many times, when you take, if, if we take a position for the truth and live righteously and virtuously and godly, our enemies will use the political power to try to get rid of us. Right. And it's been that way for 2,000 years. The appeal is made, listen, we're Romans. And these Jews are in here trying to break down the rules of us Romans. They're teaching customs which are not lawful for us to receive. That was never true of the Apostle Paul. The testimony of the Roman Caesars and those that wrote about Christians under their reign said they were model Christians, model citizens. The Christians were model citizens of the Roman Empire. And how wouldn't you be if you knew Romans 13, 1 through 7, where it says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Where it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. That's the highest motive there ever was to obey the civil authority, that you're doing it to please the Lord. And Christians did that. And Paul taught that. Paul was very careful about how he spoke about the Roman government. That's why in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he wouldn't even mention the Roman government about it passing away in order for the popes of Rome to come into power. He said, I told you about it when I was with you in person. He would not write it so that his epistles could not be tainted with anti-Roman sentiment. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 22, And the multitude rose up together against them. Brethren, whenever I read a little expression like that, I see the unity that's created among men in their hatred for the Lord Jesus Christ. They rose up together. There was no trial. There was nothing. Hatred for two men 
because they had cast a devil out of a girl. Now, if the girl could no longer foretell the future, then that meant that she was doing it by some spirit power. And they had done it in the name of Jesus Christ, but they had no knowledge of Jesus Christ because God hadn't opened their hearts at all. They hated that name. The multitude rose up together against them. The magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. This is great. They've been stripped. They've been beaten without a trial with many stripes. Now they're put in a prison, and the jailer is told, don't you dare let these men escape. And so he puts them in the innermost prison and locks their feet down in stocks. They're wounded. We don't know how many clo- how much clothing they have left on. They're in the innermost prison. Now, if you trust in the Lord Jehovah, as we sang, like a river glorious, are you getting nervous at a time like this? No. That maybe the Lord's left you? Can the Lord give you a few circumstances like this just to see if you really trust Him? Amen. What's the greatest thing you like out of your wife and children, men? For them to trust you? Do you know how our Father in Heaven, He loves to bring a few waves in our lives to see if when we're a little nervous, we'll look only to Him and trust Him. Right. Do you trust Him? Amen. He promises us things. Do you know what the promise is in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6? that I want you all to memorize? Yes. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. It's the cure for discontentment and covetousness and fear. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Did the Apostle Paul know that promise? Amen. He wrote it in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. I think he knew it. So what does a man like that do when he's in the innermost prison, his feet in stocks, his back is torn up, with having been beaten unfairly in a trial, with his clothes all torn off. Is he complaining in there, Lord, why didn't you protect me a little bit? Here, a man under the power of the Holy Ghost is wondering to himself, what's the Lord about to do? Right. Do you believe that? Amen. Live that way. Amen. What's the Lord about to do? Do you think he's Amen. forsaken you? He's trying your faith. If when the wave is rolling your way, you'll look that wave in the face and say, Lord, I trust you and I believe you. Help me. Here I stand. I believe, but help thou my unbelief. I'm not going to move. My heart is fixed on you. He'll take care of you. Amen. And something big's about to break. That's right. Verse 25, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang mournful tunes. To God, how sweet to die. Praises to God. They were praying. How sweet to die is a good hymn. We sang it yesterday, Brother Jim. No, they were singing praise to God. They were praising him and they were praying in this innermost prison and the prisoners heard them. They weren't just mumbling these songs and prayers to each other. The Holy Ghost was with them, and they were men of faith, and they prayed and they sang loud enough for the prisoners to hear them. And when things are poor in your life, do you know what you do for the rest of us? When you pray 
and sing praise loudly in the face of adverse circumstances, it blesses our hearts. Let us magnify the Lord together. Proverbs 34 and verse 3. Make your boast in the Lord in verse 2. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. Now this is the Lord's evangelistic methods. Bring about an earthquake has gone to the wrong place for a ministry. Because the Bible always shows God's ministers going by their direction to men to places where men are already worshiping God. Right. Paul and Silas are in prison against their will. And so the, God, the Lord is about to do a great work and it's a miracle. It's a sign and a wonder of His that Paul and Silas didn't have to execute themselves. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. This is a very specific earthquake. The jail did not fall on the prisoners. It's a very specific earthquake. The whole thing shook, all the doors swing open, and all the bands are loosed. The stocks open up. The handcuffs fall off. It's a very specific God-sent, God-blessed earthquake because he's about to do a work to help Paul's evangelistic endeavors in the city of Philippi. Amen. Because there's a man laying on his cot a ways away. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself supposing that the prisoners had been fled. Let me tell you a little bit about this jailer. The jailer was not beside Paul and Silas asking to hear more about Jesus Christ. The jailer was not asking Paul and Silas to repeat his favorite sermon that he'd heard earlier in the week. The jailer was not asking Paul and Silas, how did you cast out that damsel spirit? The jailer was not lying on his bed listening to their prayers and singing. He was sound asleep. The jailer was soundly sleeping in the vain comfort of his own depraved faith. And the jailer, waking up, thinking his prisoners are gone, he shows his depraved heart with no fear of God or anything. And he's going to kill himself because that was as high as the religion of the Romans would take him. Since he knew he would be accused of dereliction in his duty. And, you know, when you didn't quite get the job done the right way in the Roman Empire, they just took your life. They didn't give you a pink slip and a little piece of paper didn't go in your file. They took your life. He had no hope. He was a miserable Roman. He had no interest in Paul and Silas. He had no interest in what was going on in that jail. But I want to tell you something. The Lord did a work. Amen. Now, when did the Lord do a work on the thief on the cross? While he was on the cross. Right. Do we know that the Lord did it on the cross? Oh yeah. Because how did that thief begin his time on the cross? Railing. Cursing and railing on the Lord Jesus Christ. How did he end it? Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom and before that, defending the righteousness of Jesus Christ to the other thief. Something happened in there. Do you know what we can call that? Regeneration by the power of the Holy Ghost, which moves as the wind does and wherever it listeth. 
what's about to happen to this jailer? A depraved Roman jailer is having his life changed right now. Amen. There was an earthquake that was taking place in the prison, but there was a greater earthquake that just took place in this man's heart. This depraved man was sound asleep. He had no interest in those two preachers of the gospel. And when he wakes up and he sees that the prisoners have probably left, he's just going to kill himself. No faith in God. But, verse 28, But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, and sprang in, and came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas. I mean, the Lord has got His attention. Amen. Do you believe the Lord can get someone's attention? Yep. Oh, yeah. Is there a young man that we would like to see the Lord get His attention? Right. Can the Lord do it? Amen. Here's a jailer that was sound asleep. Now what conditions this jailer in? What position is he in? What position is the jailer in in verse 29? He called for a light. He sprang in. Is he hesitant to approach these men? He's bold. It says he sprang in. He came trembling. The Lord is working on this man from the outside and the inside. And he fell down before Paul and Silas. He gets down on the ground, and how does he address them? Sirs. Sir? What is a jailer calling the prisoners in the innermost prison, sir, for? God changed his heart. Amen. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Amen. The Lord can arrest a jailer in the Roman Empire. Right. The Lord can arrest any young man. Amen. We need to believe and we need to pray and we need to sing praise and trust the great God. Right. And I hope you know that I'm referring to a young man that we've prayed for this evening and that we put out last Sunday night. And we want to continue to pray. We want to trust the Lord and sing praises. What did the jailer mean when he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What would a pagan Roman mean, what must I do to be saved, who knows nothing about the gospel when he's down at the feet of Paul and Silas? This man wasn't a weekend theological student asking for justification by faith. This man wasn't asking for election, predestination, reconciliation, or glorification. He didn't know anything about them. He wasn't asking what to do in order to be born again, as many presume, because he didn't know what it meant to be born again. Right. Under great fear and conviction, he was seeking peace with God, because all of a sudden the presence of a holy God was in his life, and he wanted peace, and he wanted hope, and he wanted love, and he wanted joy, all the things that he saw in these two men that are standing there instead of bolting for the open door. Right. In his depraved Roman knowledge, he knew there was no hope. That's why when he awoke out of his sleep, thinking they were gone, he was simply going to kill himself. He had no hope. He was without God and without hope in the world, which is what Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that all Gentiles are by nature. Amen. But God made a change in his heart so that he fell down on his face before these men trembling under the impulse. Listen, a man who can commit suicide is not a man who's afraid of a whole lot. Right. But he is now trembling down on the ground before Paul and Silas, addressing them as sirs and asking what must he do to be saved. 
He had paperwork in his office that said, These men teach customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to receive, and a certain damsel has been going around town for the last couple of weeks saying that these men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the Apostle Paul says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And he didn't give him a recipe there to be born again, because only a born-again man could ever believe that, ever do anything with that. He didn't give him a recipe for for legal justification because Jesus Christ had already said it is finished in the cross of Calvary. He didn't give him a condition to fulfill in order for him to be elect before the foundation of the world. The Apostle Paul gave him the means of all hope and peace and joy that there is for anyone in the world. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved in a gospel sense, in a practical sense, from the faithless, hopeless, joyless life that that man had been living to a confident hope that there was eternal glory waiting and deliverance from his ignorance to the knowledge of God that he could be like Paul and Silas. He knew nothing except that these men had something he didn't. And God was working on him not working on him trying to regenerate him because he was already regenerate, had already regenerated him, but opened his heart that he could fall down and beg for help from Paul and Silas. And notice what they had to do at this point. Verse 32, And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. They needed to preach a little bit more to him so that he would have something to believe. Because who is this Jesus Christ? He needed to be told. And so Paul and Silas told him. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. They hadn't been had received any kindness and was baptized, he and all his, straightway. Amen. In the middle of the night, we have a jailer and his whole family being baptized immediately. Amen. And when he had brought them into his house, do you want to see faith that worketh by love? Immediately, do you want to see the proof of God's elect? Not only is he baptized and he goes home, he immediately takes them into his house. He set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Prior to this moment, he didn't believe in God at all. God has now regenerated him and given him the capacity for belief and taught him of the knowledge of God in his heart. The Bible says they shall all be taught of God. Amen. This man was taught of God. And then Paul taught him to bring his faith up into exercise and into evidence by teaching him through his ears and into his mind the truth about Jesus Christ. And he's rejoicing, believing in God with all his house. The whole family regenerated, converted to the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ in one night. It all started out with a beating being stripped of your clothes and put in the innermost prison. God is able to do great things. Do you trust him tonight? And when it was day, the magistrate sent the sergeants saying, let those men go. Now, why didn't Paul and Silas leave during the night? If Paul and Silas had left during the night, it would have cost the jailer his life. Paul and Silas stayed there. 
and the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. Now, brethren, I want to ask you another question. Why did these magistrates want them in the innermost prison one afternoon, and the next morning, while it's still early, they want them out? How do men's hearts change so quickly? Does the Lord work on hearts? Does the Bible say that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water? He turneth it whithersoever he will. Here these men have totally changed their opinion. Now they want them out. Go in peace. But notice some we got some wisdom left in this chapter. Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison, and now do they thrust us out privately, secretly? Nay, verily, no way. That's the translation from our 1611 King James English. Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. They think that they're going to get away with beating us openly, uncondemned, naked, secretly, with, without a proper trial, and put us into prison, and now they're just going to come and sneak us out of here? Let them come and fetch us out of here. What I want to show you about this is the Apostle Paul's using wisdom of the Holy Ghost. Right. Does that church in Philippi need a defense and a reputation that there are laws to be honored and that they know those laws to protect that little church? Right. The Apostle Paul is going to appeal to law. It's not going to cost anyone anything, but he's going to appeal to established law to remind those men that Roman law did not allow for men to be whipped and put in prison uncondemned. Right. And so he appeals to them, and he says we're Romans. Now that means, Paul, we know Paul was a Roman, but that means Silas must have been a Roman also. And the sergeants, verse 38, told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. They were very afraid that they had beaten Romans uncondemned because that was against Roman law. Their zeal in protecting these two owners of the damsel had exceeded the bounds of prudence, and they had broken their own laws. And they came, the magistrates did come, and besought them. They pleaded with them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. And what does Paul do? Does he immediately leave the city? And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. Amen. The Lord was with him. Right. Can't go south, can't go north. I want you to go west. There's the sea. I want you to cross the sea. I don't want you at Neapolis. I want you at Philippi. What do we do now? It's a riverside. You meet Lydia. She's been prepared from the city of Thyatira to hear the word of God. We're in prison. There's a jailer there. He's on his bed. The Lord shakes the prison and turns his life upside down by regenerating him so that he hears the gospel, believes with his whole house, is baptized, takes care of their wounds, feeds them, and is rejoicing with his whole house. Amen. The Lord was with them. I want to tell you something, though. Because we had to hurry tonight, the theology of Acts chapter 16. No man believes in the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be born again. Right. The work of God must precede that before a man would have any interest. Amen. 
any normal Roman without the work of God in his life would have seen all the prisoners still in their cells, would have slammed the doors shut and reasserted himself as the jailer. God changed his heart. And Paul did not preach to him and tell him to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in order for him to be born again. But for that man to come to a knowledge of God and a knowledge of the salvation that Jesus Christ has secured for us and given a man who had no hope the hope of everlasting life through Jesus Christ. And we have that hope tonight. And we can be thankful that there were men like Paul who by the grace of God preached it to the Gentiles. Let us all stand together.